The trick here, or the secret, if you will, is you need to accumulate those down payments as quickly as you can and as much as you can. And you need to do whatever you can to do it. Now, you know, budgeting and cutting back is okay, but you can't really budget or save yourself to, to you know, financial freedom. You really have to look at how can I increase my income so I have more investable cash to, to deploy. Hey, this is your host, Dan Wynn, and welcome to the Financial Freedom Journal, where we talk real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned with successful real estate entrepreneurs to help you on your journey to financial freedom. If you find value in this episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with a friend. Lastly, make sure to follow the Financial Freedom Journal Real Estate Investing Group on Facebook. We're building a community that's dedicated to helping you transact your next deal. Hey, how's it going, guys? My name is Dan Wynn, and welcome to the Financial Freedom Journal. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Uh, Mr. Turnkey, the king of turnkey investment <laughs> strategies, uh, Marco Cinarelli. A um, little background about Marco. He is the host of the Passive, the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast and the founder of Narada Real Estate. His mission is to help 1 million people create financial freedom by taking the guesswork out of investing. And he's been helping investors for over 15 years uh, to, create, to create wealth and passive income. Um, his team is dedicated to researching top real estate growth markets and structuring complete turnkey real estate investments to minimize risk and maximize profitability. Welcome to the show. Um, really, really appreciate you coming on, Marco. It's my honor, Dan. I, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for the invite. And I'm excited to share some great information with your audience. Ah, great, great. So um, where'd you start at? What, what, how did you get into real estate investing? Well, I actually bought my first rental when I turned 18 years old. I, I was old enough to qualify for financing. And I, I didn't really study the subject. I just jumped in. I bought a townhome unit, an end unit. I fixed it up. I leased it out and I managed it myself. And that entire process was pretty much textbook. I didn't know how long it should take, but I got it done and I was able to lease it out. And this was before the internet, right? So it was all on paper, signed in the law and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that was the writing on the wall. And, uh, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur starting businesses, failing with businesses, and then just keep trying and trying. But after the dot-com implosion that happened, you know, in, in uh, 2000, um, I, I kind of came out of what I thought was going to be my ticket to riches, you know, my, my IPO wealth and be an overnight, quote unquote, overnight millionaire. Well, that failed. And uh, so I took a little bit of time off, but um, I got an email from Robert Allen. He's, you know, a very well-known author. You could go to Amazon and check him out. He's published probably close to 20 books. He's authored and co-authored. But Robert Allen sent me this email. I have no idea how I got on his list, but he was having this free three-day boot camp in Orange County, California that September. Well, I had time on my hands, and I was certainly interested in real estate, so I went to this event, and um, it was riveting. The speaker just had you glued to your seat, and there was just tons and tons of great information. So the next thing you know is all these people, there's probably 2,000 people there, I bet you at least a thousand of those people running to the back of the room at some point with a credit card in hand and paying fifteen to thirty-five thousand dollars for essentially five or six boot camps that are peppered around the country. Well, I did the same thing. <laughs> so I, I I went along and it was actually a great thing. It's one of those um, 
turning points or defining moments because what had happened was um, number one, I started investing hot and heavy into real estate from 2000 miles away in California. I bought 84 units uh, over 2000 miles away. And I did that within a nine month period. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing that happened in parallel with that is investors who were spending all this money were coming back to me saying, Hey, Marco, can you coach or mentor me? And I didn't have the time. So I said, I'm sorry, I can't, but I'm, I have a lot of deal flow and I'm willing to assign or sell you some of the properties that I am, you know, underwriting myself. And that's really how the business was born. It was a light bulb moment, an aha moment. I recognized that this was a niche and there was a need in the market for people to really be presented with a quote unquote turnkey solution after they spent time and money educating themselves. And it all started from one email. That's crazy. (laughs) Isn't that, it's funny how things work, but you know what? It's just being at the right place at the right time, but being aware, just being, uh, you know, eyes wide open. So you recognize the opportunity because there's opportunities in front of us all the time, but we don't necessarily see those opportunities unless we're paying attention. We need to be ready to receive that, that opportunity. I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, not just being ready, being ready to receive it, not just in terms of uh, kind of seeing the opportunity, but also having the educational wherewithal uh, to actually execute the deal and, and go forward and do that. Because that'll really, really help in the journey of, um, of finding that opportunity and taking advantage of the opportunity. So I think that's, that's awesome. Okay. So um, went to the John Allen event. Uh, went to the back and was like, take my money. <laughs> and, then, um, and then it all spawned from there, 84 units in nine months. What was that like? Well, um, you know, no fear. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? I have, a, I have this dream, this vision, and I have a goal. Uh, and that was to buy as much as I could, as quickly as I could. Now, in all fairness, it, you know, it's important for your audience to understand that it was easier to do then than it is now. And here's why it's because back then credit was loose and easy. The joke was if you could fog a mirror, you could qualify for financing. And that's, you know, that's pretty close to the truth because, you know, there were conventional loans and then, you know, they came out with stated income loans where you just stated your income. And then, you know, we got into these low doc loans where there's low documentation. And then we had no doc loans where really, if you just had a qualifying credit score, you didn't have to prove any income. And then if that wasn't bad enough, we had ninja loans, which is no income, no assets, no job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, so basically almost anybody could qualify for financing. Um, did you see that movie? um, The big short? I did uh, about Oh six, Oh seven. And yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, th- there's a lot of truth in that movie. I know that that scene where the, the, the guy, well, no, that scene where, you know, he, he's, this guy is out doing, I forgot his name. Um, he's out doing his due diligence and he's sitting there in the strip club talking to the stripper and the strippers basically tell him, Oh yeah, I've got these four houses over here and I've got my home and a second home over there. And Oh yeah. Well, by the way, I forgot about this other, you know, condo that I have. And he's like beside himself saying, we are in trouble. <laughs> yeah. now, so, the, that's how easy my, it was to get financing. My, my scene was, uh, my favorite scene of that was when the brokers were bragging about how easy, nin, talking about ninja uh, loans and no doc loans, basically. Hey, you just got to get somebody in and just sit, you know, ask them what they make, what they, what they uh, think that they make, and we can easily get them a loan, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's wild. 
but so but you took advantage of it and you did it the right way though i i, I assume and um got you the 84 units and uh, how how is that how are they doing now how's that small portfolio doing now well here good and here's why i was actually before you even asked the question i was going to tell you what what the key was there because when you talk about the movie <laughs> Uh, those so-called investors weren't investors. They were speculators. They were banking on property values continuing to rise. And we all know that that doesn't happen in perfect, like forever because it's impossible. Real estate is not that sustainable. It goes in cycles. And so if you're not investing for income, meaning cash flow, then you're really speculating on, on the hope that property values will continue to Appreciate, but even then, you're not really generating a rate of return. It's not until you sell the property that you realize whatever gains you have in that property. So, at the end of the day, it was just purely chasing after appreciation, and that's gambling. That's just speculation. But if you do it right, what you're going to do is you're going to invest prudently and smart and invest for cash flow first and foremost. So, when you have that income coming in, I call that the glue that holds your deal together. So, while you have that glue, uh, where the property is carrying itself and you have extra left over at the end of the month and that true net number is your cash flow goes in your pocket it's spendable cash while that's happening if you buy right in the right markets in the right neighborhoods guess what you're going to have price appreciation over time because real estate naturally does that because it's 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 an inflation hedge it's a commodity and so if you buy right guess what even if you don't have increasing in population um, or you don't have any strong market drivers, it will still keep pace with inflation. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. I love uh, love the breakdown of that and your logic behind that. So, um, for especially for uh, my listeners that are interested in um, in investing. So, um, kind of got past your first deal. You kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, your your you said a townhome, I believe. Um, would you mind just dissecting that a little bit? Can you, can you kind of go over uh, where you were at in that time as far as uh, what your mindset was? I, I understand the, the John Allen piece, but uh, maybe how you found it, share some of the numbers and uh, finance it. What was your exit strategy and, and some of the lessons learned you, you through that first deal? Yeah, I mean, I'm older than I look, so that was okay. me. <laughs> um, I, I, I have a, a, an idea of the numbers, just ballpark just because I knew what the market was like at the time. I just don't know where it is today, but, but it'll still illustrate the point of, of what's possible. So as I recall, and this goes back, you know, several decades, many years ago, <laughs> that property was probably around 40,000. It wouldn't have been more than 60,000. And that was, you know, that wasn't considered cheap at the time. That was considered, uh, <clears throat> you know, bread and butter neighborhood, just, a, you know, a, a, a typical uh, home or typical rental. And that probably rented for about $400 a month, which again, doesn't sound like much today, but the math there is that that monthly rent was about 1% of the purchase price. It was $400 a month and it was about a $40,000 rental. That's the sweet spot. A lot of the, the inventory, the properties that we have and that our clients purchase through us and our network to build their real estate portfolios are right around 1% plus or minus. That's kind of that sweet spot. It, it's, it's a litmus test. But that $40,000 property, if I would have kept it today was probably, would be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $400,000. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean I would have had an absolute windfall. Yeah, there would have been a lot, a lot of equity in there. But more importantly, the equity that would have grown, I could have tapped into and deployed it into more real estate 
faster and built my wealth faster and had more properties, therefore more income because of the cash flow. So that deal was what I call plain vanilla. I did buy it and fix it up, but uh, which is not typical for what I recommend in terms of my philosophy and my investment strategy. I don't recommend people do that. I like to buy a passive rental, a passive investment where you walk in, there's no deferred maintenance and you're just cash flowing from month number one. But that deal was about a $40,000 deal, probably rented it for 4,400 bucks a month. And um, I don't remember how much I had to put into it, but um, you know, the cost basis was, was enough that it just made sense financially. Okay. That makes sense. So um, touched on it. Basically you, you bought a one, you bought a, a home. It's, you know, kept it in the 1% rule, which is making sure that the per overall purchase price, you, you know, you're making at least 1% in monthly uh, revenue or monthly income. Um, and that, that's great. So you mentioned your, uh, your current strategy, the turnkey, would you mind talking about that a little bit and why uh, you prefer buying that pure passive income uh, where it's already stabilized, it's already cash flowing versus um, the, what, what a lot, what, most people are doing now, which is utilizing the bird strategy, you know, buying it, uh, renovating it, re um, renting it out, refinancing, and then repeating it. Right. So you're one of two types of investors. You're either a, what I call a passive investor or an active investor. An active investor is someone who is putting in the time and, and they have the physical effort and probably taking on the risk and putting up the capital people who are fixing and flipping houses are active investors. In fact, I don't even call that investing. I call that a business. It's actually a, you know, an operation. Uh, but you know, you mentioned the Burr strategy where you're buying, renovating, refinance, renting and refinancing a property. Um, that's still an active approach. You're actively involved. You have to put up the, the, the capital, take on the risk, assemble the team, manage the manage, or at least manage your manager, but manage the construction of that project. And hopefully everything goes well. And by the time all is said and done, you know, you've got, um, some equity to show for it. If not, worst case scenario, you break even. Um, it could be worse than that. But you know, when you're actively involved, you're an active investor or you're a business owner. A passive real estate investor, uh, hence the name of my show and my book and all that other stuff, is um, someone who is essentially just doing their, choosing the properties and buying properties, doing their due diligence, but basically just adding one or two properties to their portfolio at a time as fast as they want to build it. Um, with minimal involvement, minimal risk, minimal, minimal uh, brain damage. So, you know, the idea of buying turnkey rentals, turnkey real estate investments through what I refer to as a turnkey real estate investing experience means that we're, we're you know, you are being handed all the resources and tools and the property options that are already vetted, um, cash flow positive, professionally managed. They're, they're just ready to go. It's like, it's like going clothes shopping. You can go clothes shopping and buy clothes and just put it, you know, try them on and then put them on and walk out of the store. Or you can buy the material, buy the sewing machine and, you know, be the seamstress or seams, seamster, if that's even a real word and, you know, a tailor and, and then build it yourself. Well, I prefer to just go to the store and buy, buy the suit and put it on rather than, you know, cut the cloth and sew it together and all that kind of stuff. So that's the difference between, you know, passive and active buying turnkey versus buying distressed and fixing it up. Okay. Got it. So that's a, that's a, that's a uh, great breakdown. So what would, so let's say we have some listeners that want to just invest in pure turnkey for all the reasons that, uh, that you've mentioned, what would that look like for, uh, for a potential investor? 
Well, there's 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 a, a methodology, you know, a process and, and systems that are in place. So it's, um, you know, I, I like to say that it's been systematized, but essentially everything centers around you, the investor, right? You know, you have your aspirations and dreams. Those should be defined clearly as goals. And, and really, I, I really recommend you be very clear and specific and write them down because it, there's a lot of power in doing that. When you have goals, you can start turning that into an action plan, like a roadmap. And if you don't know how to do that, my investment counselors will help you do that. You know, I've got six great investment counselors. They're there to basically coach and counsel you and pull that information out of your head if you don't know what it is. It's in there, but sometimes you just need some guidance. But ultimately, you're going to have a, a, a criteria, a set of criteria that becomes the um, – the driving force, the punch list that determines what you're going to look at, and more importantly, what you're not going to look at. Once you have that criteria, now you can have an intelligent conversation, whether it's with us or you're just, you know, having it with someone else or on your own to look at specific markets because they meet that criteria. And then you're looking at submarkets, and then you're looking at neighborhoods and then you're looking at properties and underwriting or evaluating these properties, doing your due diligence on all that. Um, that's what I call the top-down approach. It's actually my sixth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing. So taking that top-down approach means that you're doing it right. And that's something I did wrong when I first started. I, I was so locked into that property that I didn't consider the neighborhood, the street, the neighborhood it was in. You know, granted, I bought properties in war zones, you know, and, and I just didn't think too much about it. But now in hindsight, you know, I, I realized, oh, crap, that was a mistake. You know, I I've had so many tenant problems, tenant turnovers, damage, crime in the area. I, I literally had a property where someone was shot in front of it. I don't know what happened to them, but <laughs> I know someone was shot in front of one of my properties. <laughs> oh, so your property was in the paper, like you see a person shot in front of home, you know, and you, you got your home in the background. Like, Yeah, I think it actually was in the paper, but <laughs> I don't think my property was in the paper because it, it was actually on the, the sidewalk, a public street. It wasn't on the property itself. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but nonetheless, that's just the quality of that, you know, that's the demographic of that neighborhood. Um, so when you do it right and you're taking a top-down approach and you, you underwrite and, 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 and do the deal properly and you have the right team surrounding you, supporting you, guess what? You're going to be very successful because you just eliminated over 90% of all the potential risks that come up with real estate. So your question, um, what was your question again? I'm sorry. Wait, uh, yeah, the Great top. Basically, um, what do the numbers look like? So I, I'm an investor. I come to you. I say, hey, um, can you explain to me what, what it's like? What do I need to do? Um, and what does your service provide at Narada? So I'm interested oh. in investing in turnkey, basically. Right. So basically everything, that process I just described is essentially what we would be walking you through. You get to the point where you gain the education you need gain the confidence that you need, and then we start to help you select the markets that fit those investment goals and, and that criteria that you have. Same thing with the neighborhood, same thing with the properties. And then ultimately, you're just going to shortlist your properties down to one or maybe two. Put them under contract. We help you with the financing. We help you with the inspections. We help you with management. We help you with everything. So all those pieces are there. There's still some due diligence you need to do. You know, you have to verify some numbers. You have to get your ins inspection done. You have to work with the mortgage broker or the lender. Um, but aside from that, most everything has been done for you. You're just verifying the information and going through the process that you would do anyway, anywhere else. 
And then ultimately, 45 days later, uh, after you've put a property under contract, you will close or sign closing documents and um, take title to the property. And now you have one or two more properties under your belt and you just rinse and repeat. And you keep doing that until you reach the size of a portfolio that you need to achieve your income goals or your investment goals or your wealth building goals. So it is really not a complicated process for the first timer, the newbie, it might be a little overwhelming, but honestly it's not because when you look back after that first or second deal, it's like that ain't so hard. I just need to make sure I'm, you know, crossing my T's, dotting my I's and just verifying what I'm being shown and what I'm being told. Yeah. That sounds like a, uh, a very, very uh, streamlined process that, that, you know, I did my first deal. I took my lumps and uh, learned, learned the hard way, but uh, I could definitely see how that would, that is useful to uh, investors that, that want to be truly, truly passive and, and acquire an already income producing asset that's already professionally managed. So I think that's, that's great. So, um, What's we, we talked a little bit about one of your properties that got uh, that got uh, someone got shot outside of. Uh, do you have any other interesting interesting deals that you've done, or any other interesting uh, stories that that might provide provide some value to some of the listeners? Well, that was that would be the one I call the worst. <laughs> the one one of the biggest lessons was the first deal I ever did, <clears throat> and I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I think I did that. The mistake I made is that I didn't keep it. I kept it for a number of years and then sold it, took the capital gains. In other words, I took the equity gains out of it and went off and did something probably stupid. But what I should have done is rolled those and rolled that equity back into more property. In other words, grown my portfolio by leveraging up that equity that I've gained because that's just putting your wealth creation on steroids. <clears throat> so that's a lesson learned. Um, and another, another lesson I learned the hard way is, is hiring. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, this, this, this is necessarily bad, but just having a full-time professional property manager is critically important. There was a time where I had my real estate agent who was one of my agents bringing me deals, finding me deals. She was a full-time real estate agent, part-time property manager. And, you know, I trusted her. She was good, but, um, but I, the mistake was, is I never should have brought her on as a property manager because that's not where her full-time attention was. And she didn't do a great job and, you know, turnovers were painful. Lease up periods were long. And then at the end of it all, she had collected $6,000 of rental income rents from some of my, my units and um, claimed to have put it in, in the mail in UPS, like UPS it to me never showed up. And many weeks later, I'm questioning her about it. And she has no proof of dropping it off. Uh, so I'm speculating and I'm pretty confident that she actually stole the $6,000 from me. Really? So, wow. you know, it's, uh, that, that's the other problem is uh, dealing with tenants that are paying cash. And this is the situation you have when you're in low income neighborhoods, low income areas. These people typically pay with money order, like, um, uh, Western Union or cash, and it's not really. You know, it is, it is, but it's not the best way to collect rent. It, you ideally you want to have uh, a check or or ACH automatic deposits, and your property managers will 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 take care of that. They will put them on an auto pay system. Yeah, I, I've had a I've had a tenant that uh, <laughs> that wanted to pay cash, and, and my I 
had to tell my property manager, yeah, do this, <laughs> put them on uh, auto pay. There's a bank right over there. Let's set up, <laughs> set up the account. <laughs> they can, you know, do it that way. So um, right. definitely understand that. Cause it's, it's almost, it's untraceable. It's hard to track. It's hard to prove just like you said. Um, so you hand over the money to some person and then, you know, who knows what they could do with it. And it's a, he said, she said, he said, she said, uh, right. scenario. So that's pretty, uh, pretty tough. How did you, uh, combat that? What, what did you do to mitigate that? It, I didn't take it as a loss. I mean, there was nothing, I couldn't prove anything and she couldn't prove anything. I mean, she was denying, you know, the fact that I, she's not going to, I wasn't accusing her. She wasn't, you know, saying anything to the fact that, I stole the money, you know, she's basically making the case that she dropped it off at UPS. And so I knew she was lying because if you dropped it off at UPS, you would have, you would have had a receipt, you know, uh, they, they give you a slip of some kind to show that you've got a trackable envelope that's going from point A to point B and you can track that. Well, she never had that. Uh, that's unfortunate, but I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a lesson to be learned. I mean, it's a small price to pay for a lesson uh, to learn and I'm sure you don't do, <laughs> do that anymore. Oh, no, no. Today, everything's automated. Like, you know, property management companies will set, set your tenants up on an auto pay system. <laughs> um, you know, there's still tenants out there that pay, ca uh, pay by check because they, actually, it's an interesting question. I don't know why they still continue to pay by a check, paper check, but uh, that's just the banking they do. So, yeah. Well, okay. Um, kind of switching over a little bit. If you could, if you could give some advice, because we're you're, you're talking about a lot of uh, great tips right now. If you can give just one piece of advice to any uh, investor that would like to uh, scale or get to the level that you're at, um, or maybe they're just doing their first deal, what would the one piece of advice be? Go broke. <laughs> You, you got to expand on that. You got you to dissect that. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Just go broke. <laughs> there, there, there's, some, there, there's some truth in the madness. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Your real estate investing comes down to two things, cash and credit. You need credit to qualify for financing. And if you don't have it, then, you know, hopefully your spouse or significant other has it or your, or your business partner. You need cash because unless you know how to structure a nothing down deal, which is possible, but hard to do, especially today in a seller's market, you're going to need a deposit, uh, excuse me, a down payment. You know, lenders are more than happy to lend you money, a mortgage loan to buy your property back. They're tripping over themselves. It's very competitive. Again, you know, everybody's wanting to lend money. They need to get money deployed, but you still need a down payment. So the, the trick here, or the secret, if you will, is you need to accumulate those down payments as quickly as you can and as much as you can. And you need to do whatever you can to do it. Now, you know, budgeting and cutting back is okay, but you can't really budget or save yourself to, to you know, financial freedom. You really have to look at how can I increase my income so I have more investable cash to, to deploy. So the goal is to, whether that's working more hours, getting a second job, starting a small business, uh, partnering with somebody, you just need those chunks of cash. Because once you have those chunks of cash, you want to go broke. You want to deploy it as quickly as possible. Of course, you're going to have your emergency funds and your, your reserves, you know, just your contingencies. But 
you want to invest that chunk of cash, those, that capital into your next deal and your next deal. So you want to keep building as fast as you can. So build it up, build up that chunk of cash and deploy it as quickly as you can and then do it all over again. Because the, the faster you can do that, the better, the, the, the sooner you'll get to your, your real estate investing goals. Velocity of money, right? Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, time, time, time can work for you and time can work against you. And, and that's the only thing that you can spend, but never get back. That's definitely right about that. So um, yeah, just keep circulating the money as fast as, as fast can, as fast as you can, getting the down payments and uh, deploying that capital again. So that's, uh, that's great information, great information for any first time investor, um, turning around the money as quick as possible. So uh, last question I, well, last question I have is, why is financial freedom important? Why do you believe financial freedom is important? And why do you think others uh, should, should uh, take financial freedom seriously? If you ask most people whether they want to be financially free or not, I would guess that most people will say, yes, of course. But it's not about the money. You know, money is just a vehicle. It's a tool to, that allows you to do more things, to be more of the person you want to become, to be more, to, to, to fulfill your, your passion, your purpose. Um, it just allows you to do more things. But at the end of the day, financial freedom is really more about time freedom than it is about financial freedom. Sure, you know, you need money. You, you want the money. You need the money because you need to survive and you want to do things on your own terms. But if you really think about it, the ultimate goal is really to have true freedom and, and true freedom cannot be separated from time freedom. You know, I, I, I don't want to be having to hit, you know, hit my snooze button at 7 a.m. to get dressed and go to work and work at an eight, eight to five, nine to five type of job five days a week and, and work on, you know, someone else's terms and, and help people fulfill their dreams. I want to, you know, work on my dream. So for me, if it's important to you, you should really be focused on educating yourself and figuring out how can I achieve financial independence or financial freedom. And the reason it's important to me is like I said, it's, it's, it's about having that time freedom. You may love what you do. Great. If you're a dentist or you're this or you're that, or you're, you know, you're in, in the armed forces. Great. If you love that, you enjoy it, you're getting fulfillment out of it. By all means, keep doing what you love to do. But if you want more out of life, I think you need to uh, certainly focus on the things that will allow you to spend more time with friends, family, travel, whatever, you know, whatever that means to you. Right. Yeah, I love it. I love that. I love that. That whole entire explanation uh, that your, your whole entire response. That was great. So um, how can my listeners, subscribers, how can we get in touch with you, um, with you in uh, Narada Real Estate? Yeah, I guess just any, we have two websites and there's tons of free resources and content and educational um, information on there. I mean, they're, they're just great resources for anybody. There's also a uh, free guide you can download. It's called the Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. And if you actually download that, um, um, you have to put your email address in. We're actually publishing that as a book. It's in manuscript right now. We're going to be giving the book away for free. And so the book is named after the podcast, which is Passive Real Estate Investing. So if anybody's interested in that, you know, by all means, just download the free guide and you'll, you'll be notified when the book is released. 
but the two websites, uh, the first one's the easy one to remember. It's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Pretty simple. And then the site where we post all our properties, the properties that we, you know, uh, have available in our network for, for investment purposes is NoradaRealEstate.com. And Norada is N-O-R-A-D-A. Norada, Norada, however <laughs> you want to pronounce it, Norada.com. Or NoradaRealEstate.com. Okay. Um, so for uh, those that are watching this on video, the links are right below. And for those listening on podcast, uh, the links will be in the show notes uh, for everything that was just mentioned there. Really, really appreciate it. Hey, um, if you're finding value in the uh, in the content and these podcasts and the video, however you're, however you're watching this, um, please do us a favor, hit the subscribe button if you're watching. And then also um, leave us a comment on, on iTunes on how, you, uh, how the podcast is. Please uh, make sure to link up with uh, Mr. Marco Santarelli on, um, if you're interested in investing. Um, and, uh, that's about it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it, Marco. Hey, thanks, Dan. This has been great. I hope your audience got some value out of it and keep up the great work with your podcast. All right. We'll do. Thank you so much. This is Dan Wynn signing out.